Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. Father, it's good to be with you. Um, good to be with you, too. Glad just, we could make time tonight for this recording. Am, We're squeezing this one in. We are squeezing this in. Folks, this is coming to you just about live. So if you're just tuning in... Just about as live as you can if get If you're it. tuning in, you know, when this usually comes out on, on a Wednesday, uh, we're... <laughs> We're we're, uh, we're here at five forty seven Central uh, Daylight Savings Time, and um, we're just sc- scraping this one out. So we've had yeah. uh, some busy. <laughs> I've had some busy travel, run around with different retreats and things like that. And Father Shane, um, you're always just hanging out, not really doing anything at the seminary. So uh, I'm so bored, <laughs> twiddling my thumbs. Else to do? Bonbons and bubble baths. That's, right. That's my life. So <laughs> this is really funny. Uh, I just I just picked this sheet of paper up that my um, secretary left for me, uh, a call came in and this is one of the more Northwest Iowa things that I think could be sitting on my desk right now. So when I was in, uh, Onawa, Iowa at the faith formation night, maybe a month or so ago, um, mm-hmm. one of the high school students was talking about, you know, a classic Northwest Iowa fundraising opportunity is purchasing a butter braid. Oh yes. Now, for those of you who don't know about <laughs> butter braids, um, comes from West Bend, Iowa. So father Zach Jones is enjoying some of those hopefully, uh, in Kasuth County. Um, ooh, West Bend might be in the next county. Anyways, West Bend, Iowa, home of the grotto. Butter braids are made there. So we're talking about It is like the next a, county over. It is. Yes. Ah, I forget which uh-huh. one that is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forever hears this. <laughs> I love West Bend. My grandparents lived there for a while. Whatever. Um, the grotto is cool. A butter braid is a frozen pastry treat um, that's often <laughs> served uh, at my grandmother's house when my aunt and uncle with the kids would come. And you have to let it rise overnight, right? But it's kind of one of those special little treats where you only get when the, you know, fundraising for the, you know, seventh grade girls basketball team is, you know, upon us or something like that. So a girl was talking about wanting, uh, selling them. And I just said, oh, and I think she said her dad was upset that she was trying to sell them at church. And he's just like, come on, don't try to sell them at church. And I said, that's a smart marketing move. You're going where the people are, you know, mm-hmm. and I said, I'll buy a butter braid from you. So the pastor of that parish called to leave me a voicemail that said, uh, the butter braids are available. Please call this other person and get it. So I've got a, have to whip it up for you in the seminarians when you come home, Father Shane. Uh, I, I wasn't introduced to those until I became chaplain of Helan. What in two thousand fifteen? No, I just didn't have them. Okay. Um, I just pulled up the Butterbraid brand um, website. Website. I'm just kind of curious to know if this has like a, a Danish or a French ah, heritage. Sure. Um, I'm not seeing it here, <laughs> but the company looks like it was started. We're getting deep into the butter braids right now. Yeah, it was started, you know, from a, a personal family, grew out of farmers markets. Anyways, support your local fundraising All efforts and the purchasing of Iowa butter braids. It's it's, it's <laughs> one of the more you know we're we're trying to come back to remember how we're a Northwest Iowa podcast mm-hmm. here, right? It's even I mean we're Iowa the the, the the shape of the state is in our logo for the podcast, right? We got to mm-hmm. we 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 love all of you who are out of state and out of country who listen, but special place in our heart for the Iowans, you know. But especially like really only people in Northwest Iowa are really going to understand the the delight of a, a fresh butter braid in the freezer from the, you know, the fundraising. So sure. I hope some of you out there are enjoying a butter braid these days um, of the fall, you know, with a nice cup of coffee. 
this podcast is receiving no sponsorships yeah, from right. any, any Butterbraid <laughs> affiliates or fundraising efforts. But if you want to, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, Father Shane, as I have yes. been um, trekking around the diocese, right, uh-huh. um, which has been wonderful, I've been able to go to places like Ottawa, um, but I was also helping out with a, a recent confirmation retreat in a certain town. I won't call it out because I'm going to say something that one of the students kind of shared, but it's been wonderful. I've been able to get out quite a bit on Wednesdays and Thursdays to our various schools to go to their different retreats that they have for different classes. But especially I've got to place my heart for the public school kids. Cause I was a public school kid with Catholic mm-hmm. grade school to my grade school uh, closed for being too small in Fonda there. And I went mm-hmm. to Newell Fonda and it's helpful because I look back now and I'm very grateful for my exposure to a lot of people of other faiths, mm-hmm. my friends who are Protestant. I've talked about that before. I'm really grateful for the challenge that I had um, from my non-Catholic Christian friends, but also just from kind of the secular environment of a public school. It it helped me um, take my growth and my faith in high school more seriously, my discernment more seriously. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. But I also appreciate the struggles that a lot of kids find themselves in, um, not necessarily having um, the Catholic culture that some of our Catholic schools can provide, right? And you find yourself very outcast being like a, a Catholic kid in a public school in Northwest Iowa. So mm-hmm. I was with um, kind of a split group of one of the towns in our diocese with some Catholic school eighth graders and some public school eighth graders from two different schools. And we did a confirmation retreat on a Sunday afternoon and we had a few different little talks. But then at one point we were talking about prayer and I was teaching the kind of relational prayer acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. We've spoken about that here before. We had a moment of quiet reflection where they went off with some journaling sheets and then they came back. I was having a discussion with all of them and I was asking, what are some of the hardest parts about being Catholic, period, a Catholic young person, but especially being Catholic in a public school? And a lot of what they brought up was the perception that other people have of Catholics. They might think that we're hypocritical for representing certain things or maybe having high standards of morality, but then you know, not fulfilling those, whatever that might be. They talked about it being difficult to people not understanding particularities of the Catholic faith, of mm-hmm. the liturgy, of prayers, especially prayers involving saints and the Blessed Mother and all of these different things. But then what it really got into is, like, what is the hardest part of really just believing in God and praying? And that was interesting to really, like, oh, hit a nerve there with these eighth graders, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I realized it was kind of ruffling something up. So I said, who has ever doubted God, God's existence, right? And I raised my hand, right? Um, and all the kids raised their hand. And, you know, uh, Father, the, the the pastor in the back of the room was emphatically waving his hand to show that he too has, in fact, you know, doubted God at different times in his life. What I was trying to point out was that that's normal. It's normal to have different doubts, different questions that come about. That's normal. Um, it's okay to have those doubts. It's not okay to ignore them or to shove them away, right? So it started to lean into these questions about those doubts. Well, what are the hardest things about belief in God? You know, what is, why is it difficult to believe um, that prayer is real, that a relationship with God is possible? One of the students raised their hands and shared what I've heard many people share. So it's just so interesting that I don't think these lines are rehearsed or really shared on you know, TikTok. I think these are just consistent questions that come to a lot of people in the same way. And he said what I've heard from a lot of people who've struggled with belief in God, perhaps atheist agnostics. And he said, well, yeah, but we really can't be certain. We really can't know anything for sure until we die. Like, yeah, you can believe all of this stuff about God, but like you can't actually know. So there's always this doubt of like, well, I can't really commit myself to this because I can't really know. 
And this eighth grader was kind of a little, a little bit on the pompous side when he kind of spat this out, you know, well, you can't really know anything, you know, priest, (laughs) as Mm -hmm. he probably thought. Um, And I shot back with a little witty kind of more so just another question of focusing on the need for philosophy and why we studied that in seminary before theology and these questions that have always plagued humanity always, right? Questions about truth, questions about love, questions about um, existence, questions about the certainty of things, right? All these different things that just kind of pushing up against his materialistic take on, well, you can't really be certain of any things. And I did the classic, you know, analogy of um, we exercise faith all the time, all the time in our life when we assume something is the case because it's been the case in the past, right? It's been proven to us to be the case. When you pick up the can of Bush's baked beans, you have an act of faith that there is in fact baked beans in there. You don't open every single can of beans. And so we talked about this briefly, but I know that this is kind of your, your bailiwick, right? From your, your own um, work in grad school, but especially since you're teaching the guys in the seminary right now, fundamental theology and mm-hmm. these fundamental questions that are clearly on the minds and hearts of so many young people. And what I pointed out with these eighth graders so often these questions emerge at this really important time of middle school. They're not always asked. They're not always addressed. And then they kind of just simmer under the surface and kind of lead to that, you know, dissipation of the faith or kind of, kind of pulling back. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, if, if you were still in the, in the saddle here in the diocese of Sioux city and you found yourself at that same retreat, father Shane, what would be your response to this young person when the question is, yeah, how can you really be certain that you can't know anything, you know, until you die. So like you can't actually know anything about God. Yeah. Well, unfortunately we don't have enough time on this podcast to answer everything that I would want to say, nor would that eighth grader have the attention span to handle everything that I would want to say to him. <laughs> I might. I mean, not, you, know. you point out there's a lot of philosophical questions just in terms of the epistemology of how do we actually know things and are guaranteed that we're actually in touch with the truth and we're not just hallucinating all the time. Setting that aside, um, it's very providential that you brought all this up because uh, I just gave a whole lecture on Newman yesterday to the fundamental theology students on the illative sense. And we don't necessarily have the time to kind of unpack all of that. Um, but let me just say a little bit about faith itself, okay? Um, to this eighth grader who says, well, you really can't know anything about God until you get to heaven. Um, how does he even know that statement? You know, how does he know that we can't know anything until we get to heaven? I mean, where is that coming from? And where does he find his certitude in that statement that he said to you so emphatically? Okay. Secondly, um, when it comes to talking about faith, I do realize that some people struggle with faith more than others. It's a supernatural virtue. There is grace given from God to assist us in the act of faith, apart just from natural theology questions. Um, and that grace that we, that we rest in does give the mind certitude. There are things that we know that are true, and because we know that they're true, we have certainty in those individual uh, ideas or statements or propositions. And the mind is able to rest in a state of certitude because of, a, of an accumulation of those certitudes. Um, however, just because God is veiled in this, life, in this lifetime, 
just because he remains hidden from our our um, vision in which we don't see him face to face you don't just see him sitting on the edge of a cloud every morning when you look up into the sky and there are there are his feet just dangling from the edge of a cloud because he remains veiled that is not the same thing as doubting his existence um one of the things that i said to the students just yesterday in my lecture is i am more certain that he exists than you exist father karate you know what i'm saying now you and i are communicating with one another but i have more certitude in the existence of god than you now obviously i can see you and i can't see god but it, it is not a parallel to say that because he is veiled the certitude is any less in knowing his existence and resting in confidence that he is there and that he is the source of all truth and that he's drawing us to himself. Now, putting myself in the eighth grader's position, though, he's going to say that's crazy, right? Because it's like, I see you, I hear you, I'm communicating with you, we're recording this podcast right now, I know that I'm going to see you in a couple months when you come back for the Christmas break. Like, I have real experiences with you. Um, I have, it's, you know, it's fleshy, it's physical, materialistic, right? So unpack that a little bit. Like, why can you have a certainty about God? When I, I would say, as the atheist, why well, don't see him? You know, that just could be something you made up in your own mind. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a fair point. I mean, to someone who's not a believer, they're not going to see that quite as easily. Um, you know, to push back just a little bit on anyone who, who would really struggle with a, a statement like that, um, how, would they, how would they find certitude in anything in life? Right. How do they find certitude that their family members love them? How do they find certitude that they know how to drive home when they're out running errands? Um, how do they find certitude that this is the person I want to marry and I want to go by the ring and I want to you know, propose to my girlfriend and I want to get down on one knee and tell her that I love her and that she's the love of my life and blah, blah, blah. How does one find certitude that I'm actually called to be a consecrated religious or uh, I'm called to be a priest? Okay. All of those things come about by what Newman would say is a culmination of probabilities. Um, the probabilities meaning individual, um, individual claims, individual propositions that of themselves might have a conditional nature, but taken collectively allow one to have an unconditional assent to the, to the truth, okay? This is a little more complicated than the eighth grader would, would bargain for here in terms of having a whole list of conditional propositions that lead to an unconditional assent of truth. But what I mean by that is there are so many things on a daily basis that we do not have scientific proof for. We do not have uh, logical syllogisms to line up everything. You and I don't go around and verify every single thing that we're told all day long. That's right. And yet when you take that cumulatively, how many times throughout the day are we making decisions, are we acting in judgments on practical matters based on a cumulative uh, uh, cohesion and a semblance of things that we believe are true and taken, taken collectively allow us to move forward? Uh, and not only allow us to move forward uh, with a sense of timidness, there, there's, there's actually a sense of certitude that comes with that. Yes, there is a, there is a venture that is risked in the life of faith, uh, because you are stepping out and reaching out towards the unseen God who is still revealing himself nevertheless. There is a risk in that. 
but on a, on a micro level, I think we take that same risk uh, psychologically, intellectually every single day of things that you and I cannot necessarily verify and go around and scientifically prove or logically prove, but yet we still build upon them and move. Yeah, I make a joke sometimes that I've never been to Canada, and I sometimes doubt if it exists because South Dakota is pretty far north, and the North Dakota guys, I'm like, I don't know if you can go much further north than North Dakota. <laughs> I don't sure. know if it's up there, right? And when I was in Montana and I said, we need to go to Canada, so you know, I want to go, and my friend said, we're in rural Montana. If we go across the border, it's going to still be rural Canada. There's nothing there to go see. He mm-hmm. didn't let me see it, so I'm still, you know, I, so it, it's funny because, right, it's like, I've never been there and I've just heard people talk about it. Right. And I see it mm-hmm. on a map, but it's, that's a great example of it where it's like, I have, I don't have to physically go myself to Canada to have like a real certitude that Canada exists. Right. Mm-hmm. And I could get into some conspiracy theory that it doesn't exist and it's just on a map and whatever else, but it's like, that would be absurd. Um, but there mm-hmm. is, yeah, there's enough culmination of probabilities in my own life to say that Canada most likely almost certainly <laughs> does in fact exist. And I'm going to live in such a way that it does. Right. Um, I don't know. That's, that's always been helpful for me too. Like we, we believe and assume so many things that people tell us. And what I've tried to lean into a little bit with young people, especially younger high school and, you know, middle school who've grown up with social media, especially, especially the quick stuff like TikTok and all these different things, right? This whole social media influencer culture, we are influenced by so many things and we'll believe that this trend or that thing is the next best thing for us. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard about this crazy trend that's going around where there are young people who are, who are passing around Osama bin Laden's letter to America that was, that was written shortly after 9-11. And all of a sudden it's become this new kind of, well, maybe he was right. Maybe this is a good thing. You know, Trent Horn was speaking about this recently and it's like, look at how influenced a young person could be that they would assume that you know, a, a, a terrorist manifesto is, is a good thing for them right now. Well, they're so mm-hmm. influenced by that, right? By like a, like a 30 second TikTok that they wouldn't even stop to question how influenced they are and the things that they believe because it's just like streaming through their phone constantly. But then mm-hmm. there's this massive doubt in God, right? Mm-hmm. There's a massive lack of belief that um, my parents, my grandparents, my priest, my educators have anything to share with me that they've re- you know experienced themselves with this tradition that I've received. That doesn't have any credibility, but yet this influencer that popped out of nowhere that says something random, I'll give, I'll give full assent to that. I'll actually live in accord with that. Yeah, I think we need to do a full est- uh, episode just on the credibility of testimony. Yeah. You know, what is the testimony of grandma and grandpa who are always praying the rosary and going to daily mass? What's the testimony of sacred art, sacred beauty, the martyrs, the great holy saints, blah, blah, blah. Um, but all of those those witnesses, if one is open to receiving them, if one is bringing a disposition that is, that can receive that, all of those different forms of testimony do have a weight of responsibility that comes to one, and that gets kind of added into the assemblage of of accumulation of of different propositions that can help one find certitude in the act of belief. But in addition to all of that, just kind of the, the psychological gathering of truth claims that can lead one to faith, I think we also have to understand that when it comes to faith, we're encountering a person, we're encountering a living God. And so personal certitude in the union and the connection of persons is not like you know geometry certitude, right? Um, the bond that exists between persons um, is so much more strong and so much more powerful, and it moves the mind and it moves the heart and it stirs the affect and the emotions. 
Uh, and not only that, it's we're not even having belief in just another human being. We're having a belief in the Lord, the Savior, and the creator of all human life who far exceeds us, but who can also satisfy and fulfill more than any human being on earth ever could. And on top of that, <laughs> he's giving us supernatural grace to assist us in this journey towards him as he draws us closer to himself, all right? This is the heavenly aid. This is the heavenly grace that, that accompanies us and helps us you know, experience a foretaste of divine life now. Um, so all of these, all these, you know, considerations have to be on the table, but God is not just leaving us alone, asking us to kind of find him groping in a dark forest somewhere. Um, we're actually being led by divine grace with personal certitude in a one who loves us and who has already died for us, which is so much more compelling, uh, than if you just kind of want to reduce this to a, a syllogism or a philosophical equation, Yes. <laughs> All of that is so helpful, uh, Father Shane. And what, I, what I'm thinking right now of the people hearing this, yeah, we can't hash into all of this in a 20-minute episode, right? There's, you're, that's why you're teaching a course mm-hmm. on fundamental theology. But mm-hmm. what's helpful is like whether you're the one doubting right now actively or you've had those kind of like nagging doubts where it's your children, your grandchildren, your peers, whatever, I think what's helpful to hear is like it's not so simplistic that we're just out here with, with no like motives of credibility. We're out here with with no reason, just making these blind jumps of faith because it, I don't know, makes us feel good, you know, and we're kind of lonely sometimes. It's like, it's so much deeper than that, right? And it dives into psychology, dives into spirituality, dives into who we are and our anthropology as human beings. So it's, I think it's helpful just to kind of, just kind of crack the surface in a big thing like this and to say like that kind of reduction that a young person might have that might be influenced by the kind of materialistic, you know, secular culture that doesn't have that doesn't hold a lot of water when it actually comes to a, the rich theological and philosophical tradition that we hold in the church, right? Mm-hmm. And that there are answers for these questions. So doubting is okay. Having questions is okay. God is big enough to handle our big feelings and big questions, as I often say to young mm-hmm. people. What's not okay is to just sort of like, yeah, just kind of push these things away because an apparent problem or question might arise. Right, mm-hmm. um, but to actually seek out an authority in your life who you trust, who is living in a, in such a way that, like you said, with testimony and with conviction, um, mm-hmm. and to not be afraid. I think that's what it always comes back to: to not be afraid of your own experience and lived relationship with God, to not be afraid of your own belief and trust and life of grace in the church, to not be afraid of your own desire for your eternal destiny, like that stirs mm-hmm. up in you, you know, to not be afraid of those things when doubts either come to yourself, or when others kind of present those. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and not that the church is just a big, like answer, you know, uh, book to, to all of the questions, but you no, know, Christ uh, is the way, the truth and the life. And there, there is a response to these questions. We don't just get kind of like knocked off, uh, our feet every time an eighth grader asks us a question like this, you know, mm-hmm. and now that we come with a kind of, a we're not being pompous because there's a humility that we stand in front of, of a real tradition and formation that we've received and a real kind of grappling in a personal relationship with God, but then also these questions that come, right? Mm-hmm. All these different reasons, right? And the more we're healed, the more we experience his grace in a lived way, the more we can actually move through the difficulties of doubt to a real lived like faith and have real certainty, certainty that, yeah, that God is with us. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think that's well said. Could we just maybe wrap this up with one little phrase from Scripture to summarize a lot of what you've just said? Uh, I'm thinking about the very opening sentences of the Book of Wisdom in the Old Testament. And if any of our listeners are, are struggling with faith and maybe are experiencing some doubts, perhaps they can turn to this. It's Wisdom chapter 1. Think of the Lord in goodness and seek him in integrity of heart, because he is found by those who do not test him and manifest himself to those who do not disbelieve him. So anyone who is really struggling with doubt, as you just say, uh, to go ahead and take that venture, to take that risk, and to, to ask God more clearly for his grace to sustain an act of faith, and to say with a, a, a real act of intellectual surrender, not chasing after something that's a fantasy land, but of the living Lord who remains veiled, but nevertheless is revealing himself, to step out with that venture of faith, and to seek that personal communion, and I think is, is going to not only fulfill somebody, but give their mind a lot of peace and certitude as well. Yeah. Father Shane, thanks so much for kind of like uh, sharing your you know intellectual chops in this way. It's, it's helpful to hear you kind of pop off, as the kids would say about this. Um, as I push this red button to bring in the outro music, Father Thomas mm-hmm. Maddock, my buddy, was like, what happens if you get cut off by the music? And I said, it's always a gamble because you just kind of push it like this, and <laughs> it starts, right. and then we just keep talking. We say, thanks so much for joining us, and we hope it doesn't cut out. But for you, Father Thomas, we're going to cut it off right in the nick of time. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.